This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars, sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to NITP's For Your Benefit radio show. We're here today, April 17th. 2023. And uh, Tammy Flanagan and I, we are co-hosts, and we're here today to welcome senior, uh, excuse me, Kim Weaver, Direct External Affairs, Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Did I butcher that, Kim? Kind of, but that's all right. Okay. Well, you would think after all these years, I'd get it right. But anyway, it's about the only time I'm ready to be frank. Nervous is the first 15 seconds. Now, it's a piece of cake. There you and go. We, all right. Now we have uh, engineer Andrew taking good care of um, the, uh, the acoustics. Anyway, Kim, Tammy, what, what do we look at first? TSP changed record keepers last June. What do participants get from the that? Do we want to talk about Secure Act 2.0? Which which path do we start first? I think all of the above, but I think we'll, let's start with, um, it's almost been a year. It's hard to believe it's almost May. And um, that took effect in June of last year, right, Kim? What, what are some of the things that have happened along the way since the changes took effect and what is still happening as far as it evolving and coming into full action? Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here, Tammy and Bob. Um, so the, the one thing I'd say is I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, it was just the website change and, and they don't quite understand why things happened. And it was way more than just a change in the um, website. It was a fundamental and wholesale change of our entire system. And it was an essential modernization of everything and was designed to make an already safe system even safer. So that was sort of the fundamentals of everything that happened. But in terms of what people got, what what did participants get and what, what changes were beneficial to participants? Um, people can continue to pay off a loan once they separate. Uh, and so it used to be prior to, to this changeover, that if you separated from government with an active TSP loan, we would have to declare it taxable income and you would have to pay uh, taxes on whatever that amount. Now, uh, should you want to, you can continue to pay it off with direct de deposit. You can just send payments in and you don't have to have that loan declared taxable income. Um, you can take out... Real quick, yeah, before you move on to the next, since you're on that topic of the loans, a couple of questions came in about that. And number one is, you said I can pay back my loan after I separate through direct deposit. What if I'm retiring? Um, can they take those? Can I send in a personal check to pay off yes. the loan from time to time? Do I still have to follow the same schedule um, of, of you know, payments whenever I was working, or can that be reamortized? Do you know if that's it, it cannot be reamortized, but mm -hmm. um, if you want to send in a check bi weekly or monthly, whatever your pay period were was, right. because what you want to avoid, assuming you don't want to pay it as a taxable distribution, you want to avoid us saying that you're you're delinquent in the payments because then we would move forward and declare it taxable. Right. And then the other question that came in was, while I'm paying back that loan, let's say I do direct deposit, so it's coming out of my bank account, can I also start taking withdrawals and set up monthly payments, or do I have to wait until that loan's paid off before I can start my distributions? No. Once you're separated and we get the SEP code from your agency, you can start taking withdrawals as you're paying off the loan. There's okay. no... There's no waiting involved okay. just because you have an be putting it in and taking it out the same month. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the thing is, what you're doing really is just uh, delaying uh, the rate, having to, to pay additional income tax on the, the loan amount, whatever's left. Okay. Thank you for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, people can take out two general purpose loans. Um, and in fact, what we have seen, you know, we had talked about um, before we started changes and, and sort of trends. What we have seen is that there's been an increase in a second general purpose loan being taken. And we've seen a decrease in um, residential loans. And our hypothesis is, based on just our thinking, is that with residential loans, there's a lot of paperwork that has to go with taking out a residential loan. And so people are just taking out a second general purpose loan and moving forward that way. Um, so that's a significant benefit. The other thing is you can complete more transactions online, completely online. Even if you're married, it's, it's much like you know, if you've refinanced your mortgage recently, you do everything online. If you need witnesses, um, the an email, you can put in an email address. Your email, that email, uh, that email recipient can then witness it and the transaction can move forward. And that's true for loans. That's true for withdrawals, true for beneficiary designations. And so it saves a lot of time and trouble in trying to get things notarized or witnessed or moved to get your your um, transaction taken care of. Let me stop there again, because that's an important thing that people have to deal with when they're, you know, most people listening may not have even started taking distributions yet or borrowed from their account. So if you're a married participant and you're under FERS, it used to be you would take the form and go to your notary and have it witnessed and your spouse's signature witnessed that you're taking these distributions. So what you're saying now is I can do the entire transaction online and for my spouse to give their permission or what, whatever the better word for that is that I'm taking money out, they can just kind of docu-sign their permission rather than spending time to go to a notary. That's exactly right. You would put in your spouse's email address. They would consent. Um, we would get that email back and then we would process the transaction. And you're saying the same thing with a beneficiary designation. So if I need witnesses, and from what I understand, you only need one witness now rather than it used to be two. Right. Only one witness. And um, I they could be in another state. Exactly. I did it last last summer. Um, updated my beneficiaries, put in an email address, and, um, you know, the whole thing took, I think, two days for, you know, from start to finish for that beneficiary to update because uh, my witness signed it and everything was good, or emailed back that they were good to go, and uh, that's, it was a lot easier than having to chase people down. And tell us about the TSP-3. It used to be we filled out a form for a beneficiary designation. I understand that form doesn't really exist for most of us anymore. Like we want to, you want us to do our beneficiary elections on the website, right? We want people to use the website if it's convenient to them. We know we have participants who either can't or don't want to use a computer to do transactions. And if that's the case, they can call the thrift line and they can ask for a paper withdrawal form. Uh, TSP 99 is the withdrawal form or TSP 3 is the beneficiary designation. But then you do have to have the witnessing and, and the, the same procedure as before. Precisely. Um, but again, there are people who, for whatever reason, one one um, inquiry we got, there was a participant who lived, I think it was in Idaho, in the middle of a national park. And so she had a satellite phone for emergencies. And that was basically her only communication other than mail. Um, and so she needed it. <laughs> She needed the paper form, and by God, yeah, there was no other, no other and way. And all I could think of was that would make me absolutely insane. But she, she seemed perfectly happy with it. So there are people who have very legitimate reasons for needing paper forms, and they still exist. And one last thing on the beneficiary form, 
I am, I understand from what I've been told from others that they now are asking for the TSP is now asking for a social security number of my beneficiary. And somebody had pointed out, which I had never thought of, because like we were talking about if somebody wanted to leave me money, I'll give them whatever they need. But she was concerned because the new beneficiary online is asking for a social security number of the beneficiary. And she didn't want to ask her beneficiary to provide that personal information. So is there a way that we don't have to do the, the social security number when you, we're setting it up? Yes, you can call the thrift line and you can talk to the representative. They'll validate you and they can update your beneficiary without a, t without a social security number. Right. The reason we're asking for the social security number is not that we're particularly nosy, but if and when someone passes away, we then are that much closer to being able to pay out to the to the designated beneficiary because we have that information okay. because we do have to have it before we pay it out. Great. Bob, did you want to ask her anything else or Kim, did you want to continue on your list of changes? Well, the, the other thing I would say, the other, um, so there's a mobile app, which it's an official mobile app and you can do pretty much anything on the app that you can do on your computer. Um, and we also have a concierge roll-in service. So if you have other qualified money, you worked somewhere and you have a 401k and you want to roll it into a TSP, rolling money between any for any it's it's not an easy process and um there are any number of reasons for that but it's not an easy process so we have a concierge uh, program that will help people do that so it's a little less difficult for the participants to move their money into the tsp if that's what they'd like to do and then lastly we've um, rolled out a mutual fund window for those participants who wanted to use it and wanted to uh, make different choices about where they're putting some of their TSP money. Andrew um, just flashed a sign. It's time for a two-minute break, and we'll listen to what WEPA, the sponsor of the show, can do for the listeners. Times have changed, but WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage, regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage. WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. All righty, welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're here today with Kim Weaver, and Kim is uh, explaining all the intricacies of, of um, dealing with the agency, and Tammy Flanagan, knower of all things federal, and I'm the listener, <laughs> and Andrew is the um, engineering so that we don't have any hiccups. So where do we leave off? We were getting the update on the changes that have occurred over the last year with the TSP, and to follow up on the concierge service, that kind of caught my attention when you said that, Kim. Is that accessed by calling the thrift line or is there a fee? To it is. That? Yes, you can call the thrift line and ask to be transferred to the concierge service and they will do that. Um, they will transfer you over um, to the the people who will help you make that change. Okay. Uh, no. And, and I, I think... <laughs> you sort of asked about the mutual fund window and how popular it was. Mm -hmm. um, since June 1st, roughly uh, 8,900 people have created mutual fund window accounts. Of those, 5,000 people have actually moved money into a mutual fund. And those 5,000 people have moved roughly 180 million into various mutual funds. Um, now you've got to put that in context, right? We have $765 billion in the TSP. 
So 180 million is not chump change by any stretch of the imagination, but out of a pool of 700, 765 billion, not all that much. And similarly, we have almost 6.8 million participants. Um, and, and I have seen on various chat sites that people are saying the mutual fund window is a failure because fewer, you know, not enough people have signed up for it. Um, we never expected that a whole lot of people would sign up for it based on what happens in other um, 401ks that offer mutual fund windows. It's about one to two percent of the population choose to use that. And that's what we anticipate for the TSP. But that wasn't like day one, one to two percent. That'll be something that that ramps up over, you know, a year, two years, three years. Right. Yeah. If I was a TSP participant, which I wish I was, but I'm not, but um, I would probably stay away from it for just the reason of why pay extra for something that I don't necessarily need. And I don't know about everybody else, but having five funds to understand is enough for me to uh, wrap my brain around rather than having the whole universe of funds. So that might be, you think that's why a lot of people aren't using it? Well, I'm going to quote our executive director. He is um, a firmly, firmly of the opinion that the five funds that the TSP offer are sort of the perfect offerings because they cover um, the American stock uh, offerings from small to large. They offer um, fixed income and they offer um, large uh, international stocks plus, of course, the G fund. And so from his perspective, um, a participant who is invested in an L fund is optimally invested for a risk and return benefit. So, but we also know people have other investments outside the TSP, right? There's, there is any number of reasons why someone might want to invest in a mutual fund. And if they want to do it through the TSP, they can do it now or as they always could, you can invest in a mutual fund outside the TSP. Right. Thanks. Are there, are there any trends happening with separated employees that you noted recently that uh, they weren't doing before? So is not it really. Um, the, the new record keeper has not particular. I'm assuming that that's sort of what was driving the question. But but no, um, the we're seeing the same basic pattern. Um, most uh, participants start taking their money out at about age 63. Um, so it's not tied to when they separate next necessarily. It's when they decide they need money. And so again, average age 63 is the first withdrawal after post-separation. Pardon me. And that's what we use to, um, to, to model for the L funds that you're going to take your, your uh, withdrawal starting at age 63. And we disperse roughly 3 million monthly payments each year. That's by far the most popular option that people take. Um, it allows them to set up a stream of income, uh, which they can change, right? If you're, cha if you're assuming, if you have set up the monthly payment in the amount that you want, you can then call in and change the amount that, that you want. Uh, and there has not been an appreciable growth in withdrawals over the last almost year. Um, it's the same, again, the same pattern. And one of the other questions that, that I've seen posed is have people fled the, the stocks and bonds funds? And, and no, like in January of 2023, which was not an awesome month for stocks, less than 2% of our participants moved money between funds. And so for the most part, people have a plan and they stick with their plan. Yeah, that's what was always being said throughout the history of the TSP. And I remember from the very early days, 
you know, when the G fund was earning whatever 10% back in the late 80s and the stock yeah. market was failing, we were all afraid of the stock market. And then all of a sudden the stock market took off and everybody moved every, it was like kids playing soccer. They all followed the trends. Right. And now we're starting to learn how to be long-term investors after what, 30 some years of practice. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's right. Do you, do you uh, find? Go ahead, Bob. No, do you find when they when they make their initial elections for distributions, do you see them change after that because they were kind of like the new kids on the block when they first entered it, and then they probably paid more attention to it once it was in there. And did it go up today? Did it go sideways? And um, do, do you see that kind of curve where there's more interest in managing it as time goes on? For withdrawals or contributions, I'm sorry. Withdrawals. Um, people do make changes to their withdrawal amount. They don't necessarily make um, changes to the frequency because you can do an annual withdrawal, you can do quarterly withdrawals or monthly withdrawals. Most people do monthly monthly withdrawals, um, and people do change that amount. And I think that um, has more to do with sort of once you're retired, um, and I would defer to Tammy on this, right? You have a sense of how much money you're going to spend in retirement, and you may have under or overestimated, and you adjust your monthly your monthly installment payments from the TSP accordingly, depending on whether you need more or less. Yeah, and what's the nice thing about the TSP as the third rail or the third tier of FERS, it's the one piece you can control. Because I've seen some people who will take more out while they're waiting to claim Social Security, so they didn't want to turn on their Social Security right at 62. So it does give you a lot of flexibility, which is a real plus. And I guess that's true with any savings, but you know that piece of your retirement that's not governed by a strict monthly payment. Um, yeah, that brings me to my next question. It has to do with the withdrawals. I noticed that the interest rate on the annuity program is increased. You know, it's one of the higher rates that we've seen in a while. I think it's yep. above four percent now. So, have you at the TSP seen more people who have separated who are looking at that or purchasing annuities and? And maybe you could explain a little bit about how the annuity option differs from a life expectancy type payout. Sure. So, no, we haven't seen an increase in the number of annuities that are being purchased. Um, annuities through the TSP is our least used option. Um, last year, there was about 700 annuities purchased, just to give you a sense of scale, you know, um, 3 million monthly payments over the year versus 700 annuities total. Um, and, and when you purchase an annuity with the TSP, we, we um, competitively source out the annuities and it is with MetLife at the moment. Um, and so if you select your annuity, whatever it happens to be, and there's I believe 14 or 15 different choices. Um, we then transfer the money to MetLife and that's an irrevocable decision. Once you make it and we transfer the money, it is, it, you no longer have a relationship with the TSP for that money. You don't have to use your whole account, but for whatever money you've transferred to the annuity to MetLife, that becomes between you and, and MetLife. Um, if you choose... Go ahead. I was just going to say when you, I don't even know if you'll know this because it might be a MetLife question, but when you transfer the money to MetLife and then in turn MetLife is most likely going to send a contract to the participant for the annuity that was purchased. Do you know if they have a period of time where they can make any changes or change their mind or is it set in stone as soon as the TSP has moved the money? I'm afraid I don't know. Okay. Um, but when it comes to life expectancy payments, the, that money stays with the TSP. You, you remain invested in the TSP and whatever funds that you have chosen. And then what we do is we use the IRS table to determine based on your age when you start and your balance when you start, um, how much money it will, how much money we will pay you to draw down over your expected life expectancy, hence the title. Um, and so 
the difference really is when you buy an annuity, the money comes out of the TSP and you give it to MetLife, it's no longer invested and you no longer have control of that money. Life expectancy payments, on the other hand, remain in the TSP and you can make changes as you want um, over, over the course of your withdrawals. You can stop those life expectancy payments and start them up again, or could you change it from a life expectancy to just a dollar amount that I want to choose? You can, but that that's a one-time one choice. Way. Yep. Yes. If you, if you start with life expectancy and you want to move to just a, a monthly dollar amount, you can do that, but you then cannot start up life expectancy payments again. And that's a tax code thing. That's great. Yeah. This is really um, answering a lot of the confusing questions that I get coming up because they're kind of like the gray areas. When you read the booklet, you're not sure if you're seeing that right answer. So I think this will help a lot of folks who have been, wondering these things. Thanks for that. Excellent. Bob, did you want to go to some tax issues with the SECURE Act? <laughs> well, I was going to ask, how many, how many people do you find calling and asking questions and you go, why didn't they know that? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not belittling anybody because understanding money and, and taxes is, is, is pretty hard. So, when somebody calls, they get help, I imagine, from, from your folks on the other end of the line to, to explain the unexplainable. Yeah, I think, I mean, the to, to Tammy's point, there is, um, there is confusion between the difference between a life expectancy payment from the TSP and the purchase of an annuity. Um, that, that, to me, is a completely reasonable question to ask. And that's why the thrift line reps are there to, to clarify which is which and what, what they both do or don't do depending on your desires. Yeah. That's like I say, when I'm in front of a classroom, I say, I'm a master at stupid questions. So please feel free to throw them at me because for some people they've never, you know, this might be a student that just graduated from college has never invested a day in their life. So they have a very basic question and somebody else who's been doing this a long time may ask that question that's in the gray area that you know might have to talk to a supervisor before the thrift line can even provide the response because they range. I, I know in my experience, I've seen them range from complex things that I have no idea versus the basic things that even I can answer, even though I'm not a financial advisor, they're pretty basic. That's exactly right. And, and again, people have very specific what we won't, what we can't and won't do is provide tax advice, right? That's outside our, our purview. But to the extent that people have factual questions, like what can I do? What can't I do? Um, that those are the questions that, that we and the thrift line can answer. Yes. And, and I thought maybe this is a good time to point out, because I know I've attended them just out of curiosity, but the TSP also provides online training opportunities, which are great live presentations, right? Yeah, they are. We offer webinars and I have the, hold on one second, because I have the, the, um, the address for people to sign up. Uh, if I can find it, I'm going to stall for a minute. So we have trainers in who work for the, the TSP and those trainers will, um, do webinars on on our website here it is and you can sign up at tsp.gov backslash online learning and you can register for any there's a whole list of webinars there you can register for them and and you can type in questions we've all gotten very used to over the past three years very used to online um, events and so, uh, and the webinars are also sort of taped, if you will, recorded and showing, showing my age, um, <laughs> recorded and that you can watch them after the fact, but they break it out into early, early career, sort of mid career, late, late career withdrawals, all those sorts of things. And then if your agency is having a big event where they want someone from the TSP to come, our trainers will also do that 
whether they do it in person or virtually it it depends but um there we we very much want to make sure that people understand the tsp and their options yeah that's great that's a good addition i think that was a result of the pandemic where that really started to blossom yep it was we had to find something and and in fact very early on in the pandemic one of our trainers um had just his spouse had just had a baby and he he actually was doing the webinar in the back of his um, van because it was the only place that there was any quiet and so we have this picture of him hunched over his laptop in his van um doing one of the webinars it just it goes to show very inventive yeah one time my computer wasn't working and my neighbor across the street i had to hurry up right before the webinar started run across the street Karen, get out of the way. I need to use your computer. And like she split, you know, thank God, goodness she understood my my, my um, need to, to hurry. And I got on there and right on the nick of time, I started on time. Nobody knew what had happened. No, except for the beads of sweat, right? As you're running across. <laughs> exactly. T T Tammy and Kim, uh, working with um, the folks that you work with, what do you find sometimes that's surprising that isn't common knowledge? <clears throat> and that's a pretty wide open question. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that I think there's confusion about, and I think Kim was kind of alluding to this, we were talking about the training opportunities and the material that's on the TSP account, is the limitations of the TSP as a federal agency not to give advice to people, like not telling them what to do, where to put your money, where not to put it. That's a financial advisor. You pay them for that kind of advice if you need it. But on the other hand, I think the TSP makes it fairly simple that you don't necessarily need an advisor but because you can be educated enough to understand these five core funds and how they can be used to meet your retirement goals. So I think the TSP does a wonderful job of education on helping people invest, but stops right at that point of giving advice. And I think that's where a lot of people think, where do I go for advice? And, and I think... To, to Tammy's point, the L funds come as close to sort of advice as we're going to give because we, again, those are professionally developed um, based on TSP's demographic and um, they're designed to maximize return, minimize risk, and they're in five-year increments. And so that, I think, is where to the extent people aren't comfortable or don't don't either have the time or interest in learning, the L funds provides you a very, you know, to borrow the staples, staples slogan, an easy button to um, not that I'm advertising staples, but uh, to um, to to invest and know that you're you are taking advantage in an appropriate way for your age of the TSP. Yeah, what I think a lot of people don't know about the L funds, and correct me if I'm wrong about how this works, but let's say I'm in the L2040 fund. So I'm in that fund, which is kind of heavier on the stock side, a little lighter on the GNF fund side, because I'm still, what, 15, 20 years away. So in that fund or any of the funds, every single day, is it a close of business that the funds rebalance to those percentages? Yes. And then every quarter, every three months, they little bit more conservative, a little less aggressive as you get closer and closer to that time horizon. So if I put 100% of my new money and my existing balance in that fund, it's all going to be managed according to that schedule. That but then I see exactly people right. who say, I'm going to put 10% in the G fund, and then I'll put you know 20% in the C fund, and then I'll put 70% in the L2040 because I want to hedge my bets. What is the point of doing that? Do you, do you get people who want to do that or do you wonder why they do that? There are people that do that. Um, yes, I personally do wonder why they do that. Um, again, we never know what people have outside the TSP, right? So to the extent that someone has, you know, a, a super risky investment outside the TSP and they want to be invested in an income fund and then add more G fund to it. 
you know, that might be appropriate. But there are people who also sort of see it as a, you know, pick from column A, pick from column B. And that's not what they're intended to be used for. Um, we used to see people who would have money in the 2030 fund and 2040 fund because right. they were trying to create a, 45, uh, a 35. But now that we have five-year increments, people don't even have to do that. So um, again, people are people are entirely able to do whatever it is that they want, but individual L funds were created for specific ages. And as I keep saying, maximizing returns and minimizing risk. With all these great choices that uh, TSP offers the, the members, if you will, do you find that they, are they a little bit aggressive as a poor choice of words? Are they a little bit more aggressive? but not crazy aggressive. When you hear aggressive, you think, no, that's gambling. Uh, or do they go the um, standard path? Or did they do all the above? I think the yeah, G fund was, is still the largest fund, right? Yeah, I was, I think um, it is all the above. You know, when you've got, again, 6.7 or six, almost 6.8 million people, you're going to have a wide variety of behaviors. And, you know, there are people who are 100% in the C fund or 100% in the S fund. That makes me slightly queasy. But again, that's their their choice. And as I said before, I don't know what they're invested in outside the TSP. It could be a perfectly rational investment choice. It just makes me a little anxious. Well, I think it's time for a break for NITP, what they can do for the listeners. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're in the final, I won't call them minutes, final 15 minutes <laughs> uh, with Kim Weaver and Tammy Flanagan. And we're talking about everything TSP. So, Tammy, I think right before uh, the break, you were going down a question, I think. Yeah, we were talking, um, I guess we'll stay on the topic of statistics just a little bit longer because there's a couple of other things that readers want to know. And I think in um, memory of the late Mike Causey, he always wanted to know how many millionaires we had in the TSP and everybody seems to have an interest in how they stack up against that number. So do you have that latest number, Kim? I have it as of December 31st. That's good. And there were 76,889. Um, and you can compare that to the previous year, December 31st, 21, where there was 112,880. So you can see what the stock market did um, in, in 2022. Uh, not kind to a whole lot of people. Um, but again, the, I, what, I've, what we always emphasize is the average years of contribution for a millionaire at the end of 2022 was almost 30 years. Right. Um, and it was 28 years as of 2022, 2021. So, you know, those people are just advancing in years. So you, you know, you don't just come into the TSP and miraculously become a TSP millionaire. You invest over the course of your career. And depending on the amount that you can afford to come, contribute 
depending on the stock market at any given point in your career, that's what gets you to be a TSP millionaire. I remember at the beginning of the TSP when they used to use Aesop's fables for the TSP brochures. There was one that always that said little by little soon becomes a lot. And I thought that is so true because you think, how is this ever going to amount to anything? But over time, it's like I see people kind of wide eyed all the time where they're saying, I never in a million years thought I would have the ability to save this much. And it just kind of happens over time. Yep. It's that miracle of compounding. That's right. Those predictions came true from 1987 when we told people they have the, op the the chance of becoming a millionaire, the chance of having this be the third tier of their retirement, a really valuable tier. Yes. Really is. Um, uh, the I'm, other, go ahead, Bob. I'm not a financial planner. I understand it, but you know, I'm more of a tax type. But when talking with people, I, I put them in three categories. Uh, somewhat new to federal service uh, doesn't necessarily mean they're young, but more often than not, they're young, and then mid-career, and then later in the career. And I find that oftentimes they they don't want to go into like a C fund um, initially with the dollar amount because, you know, I, I can't afford to lose it. Well, you're never going to lose it, uh, but you might not make as much as you want to in some years and make more than you ever imagined in other years. And so it, it's a tutelage, I think, that's that's important. Uh, and to get them on the right focus. Who am I to say what their best focus is? But you, you say, okay, here's a door A, here's door B, here's door C, and this is what happens when you open the door. That's true. And of course, you don't lose anything as long as you don't take it out, right? You don't, if, if your money has fallen um, and, and, you know, you're mid-career and your account has fallen, um, you can earn it back because, as you just said, the stock market is unpredictable. And until you move that money out of the C fund, you haven't lost anything, right? It's just it's there and you need to um, think very carefully about your moves because you can lock in losses that you otherwise might not have, have um, gotten taken. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you have to know when to take it out of the stock market, but then you also have to know when to put it back in. That's two big decisions that are very hard to predict for, for anybody, let alone and someone. very rarely done correctly by anybody. So that's, again, that's not to sound like a broken record, but that's the beauty of the L funds. Mm -hmm. well, it's, but it's, I mean, Kim, you see it, Tammy, you see it, I see it. When we go to these courses, we, you know, we do a retirement planning courses and mid-career, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm always surprised, maybe it's because, I, you know, I work on kind of the other side of the fence. That's all we do is talk about money as, you know, as an accountant or a financial planner. But for those that weren't introduced to it, the thrift is outstanding because they do, they do the, uh, the investing and they show, okay, here's what would happen under this and here's what would happen under that. But it's not a guarantee. Nope. The stock market, <laughs> there is nothing guaranteed about the stock market. There's nothing guaranteed about bonds. I mean, there's just, as we have seen over the, over the past several years, right? Uh, the bond market hasn't responded exactly the way people normally expected it to. Stock market hasn't. The G fund is the only fund that won't lose money but it's also never going to keep pace with inflation. And so if you put 100% of your money in the G fund, you're losing buying power. And so, um, again, you really need to think about, to, to Tammy's point earlier, this is a long-term investment. This is not, you're not day trading. You're not jumping in and out. Um, this is a long-term thing where you're trying to um, invest over 20 or 30 years. Yeah. It kind of leads me into one of the questions I got as we were preparing for this. Um, Michael wanted to ask this question. He said, are TSP funds considered at a broker dealer for, and he uses the initials SIPC, and I had to look that up. It stands for Securities Investor Protection Corporation. Okay, I'll we'll leave it at that. And then he says, I'm not expecting a problem with the TSP, but I would feel foolish to tell people to keep their money in the thrift 
because of what I would call brokerage risk and then discover the TSP might have a problem. So I think, you know, and I get a similar question from people who are confusing money in their banks that are protected by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and what kind of protection do we have in the thrift? So can you kind of address this idea of how safe is our money? Um, your money is safe. Uh, I just, so um, <clears throat> the the acronym for the Securities <laughs> Protection is CIPIC, and I'm going to use that because it's shorter. Um, CIPIC in, it does uh, insure broker-dealers, but it, we're exactly like 401ks in that CIPIC does not protect individual accounts at 401ks. So if you're at company Y and there's a 401k and that the, the, the person who's investing that money um, has a problem, there will be some money recouped, but it's not individual accounts fully and in, fully insured. Mm -hmm. um, and similarly with the TSP, we have two fund managers who invest in the stocks and bond markets. Um, both of them are very large corporations. We monitor them to make sure that we, there's no um, operating issues that we see that would prevent them from providing services to TSP and TSP participants. Um, but insurance doesn't really exist for the TSP in the sense of, of CIPIC, if that's the question. Yeah, and then I, I always get the question too about the G fund. You know, is that better than having my money in the bank? And I used to say it's protected by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which it is. And, you know, we do hear from time to time as we're experiencing now with facing the debt limit and so forth, where money does have to be used to meet our obligations. But that doesn't mean we're still not safe. We're still not earning interest, right? Everything's still happening. Absolutely. If you have money in the G fund and you want to withdraw it, you can withdraw it. There, the over the the history of the TSP, the debt ceiling issue has never, ever, ever impacted um, a TSP participant's ability to take money out or to transfer amongst the funds, whatever. There's complete ability to operate as if everything was fine because everything is. I was told one time by somebody at the thrift a long time ago saying that if if uh, we have to worry about the G fund, then we have more things to worry about than just the G fund. I think that <laughs> I think that is sad but true. Yeah. So far, we're we're good. We're good. Now I was um, looking through the uh, information <clears throat> before today's show, and I just I just found this interesting. That I don't know how many people know this. Um, the TSP office <clears throat> of planning and risk. Available vendor data comes from different sources outside of the TSB, Accenture Monster Financial Company, BlackRock, MetLife, Science Application, SAIC, State Street Bank. So you have good tutelage, not that you need everybody to provide you tutelage because you've got that, but then you can reach out to each one of these and others um, and, and imagine what they provide is information that's very good to help one make investments. Um, we, yeah, the, the board has an office of planning and risk and the, the office deals with risk of any, any sort, right? There's any number of risks in this world of ours at the moment, but they specifically look at our vendors, our major vendors, and our two fund managers, BlackRock and State Street, obviously are at the top of that list. Um, and they they do quarterly, um, they, well, they do continuous monitoring, but then they do quarterly outreaches to the, to the vendors, ask questions. They get various reporting from the vendors um, because obviously their major, we want to make sure that they can continue to operate and that there's nothing that we're unaware of that we need to mitigate or that there's no risk that we need to mitigate. Yeah, a lot of people might be surprised to know that the TSP is a smaller independent agency. You don't have tens of thousands of employees, right? 
No, we have about mm, 260 employees. Um, and then, and this has always been the, the case for the TSP. Um, we've largely been an outsourced um, agency. It, it was our record keeping and our call centers, our forms processing, all of that has been done by vendors over the entire course of the agency's life. All right. Well, Andrew tells us we have two minutes left. Andrew is the engineer, keeps us on track, and so we don't get cut off at the end. So I guess now we got less than two minutes. So final <laughs> thoughts? The only thing I wanted to say is, you know, Secure 2.0 passed at the end of uh, the year last year, and there were uh, a whole bunch of provisions. Uh, some were mandatory, some were um uh, voluntary optional and the TSP is looking at those and as we make decisions on what we will and won't potentially implement we'll be keeping our participants informed about that and so I just wanted to address that because we know that people are are interested in in some of those changes yeah and I would add to that that if you go on to the thrift plan website and you, I do a, the way I do it, there might be an easier way, but I go in the search bar and I'll put publications because your publications now have all been updated. They all have a 2022 or 2023 date on them and they're very comprehensive. So for right now, they're up to date and current with what's happening within the thrift. And that includes the RMD changes for when you have to take required minimum distributions. Absolutely. Okay, first question, Kim, what's the website that people can contact after listening to the show? TSP.gov. TSP.gov is a Imagine that. TSP.gov. And yep. what's the best what's the best time to call the thrift line to avoid a long wait or is there not a long wait? Um th at the moment we are answering the phones in less than 20 seconds. Um, it, it, that jumped in January and February up to about 10 to 15 minutes. And that's, that is always our busy time because of taxes and 1099s and all those sorts of things. But we're back down to answering the phone in less than 20 seconds. Very good. Kim, thank you. Tammy, thank you as always. Listening to either or both gives me things to talk about when I do webinars. <laughs> so, so thank you. Thanks, bye Kim. Bye. We appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search for your benefit. Thanks for listening.